After a 13-game win streak, the Yankees now have lost three in a row. Should we be concerned? Do the Yankees have any chance at really winning the AL East? Well, we got a double dose of guests today as the post-Ken Davidoff drops by, and 1998 Yankees World Series champion Homer Bush does as well. So join us, won't you, on a brand new Pinstripe Pod from the New York Post. Hello and welcome back to the Pinstripe Pod, our Yankees podcast with the New York Post. It's Chris Sheeran here with my co-host, four-time Yankees World Series champion Jeff Nelson. You'll hear our thumbs-down Met fan producer, Jake Brown as well during the show. Follow us all on Twitter at Chris Sheeran. Yes, at NYNelly43 and at Jake Brown Radio. We got a double dose of guests today on this special Tuesday episode as two friends of the program join us. The post Ken Davidoff, and he appeared last season on the pod. Nelly's old teammate, 1998 World Series champion, Yankee Homer Bush. Nelly, Yankees won the 13 straight. Now they've dropped three in a row. Uh, they started showing a bit of their old selves grounding into double play after double play. Most notably, Joey Gallo, who had nine in his entire career because he's a fly ball hitter. And then in two successive games against the A's, he bounced into two double plays. They got Corey Kluber back. He was good for three innings and then kind of lost it in the fourth inning against the Angels in the third straight loss for the Yankees. Just your thoughts recently on this three-game losing streak and what you've seen. Yeah, you know, it's tough because you, you go and you pop a 13 game win streak and you look the team ahead of you and okay you, you you gain ground in the wild card now you're the top wild card team by two games but you're not gaining anything on the team ahead of you and next thing you know you lose three and you're back to where you started from or maybe even a game behind where you started from about a month ago or even in early July so it gets to be frustrating I know you just when players say oh we try to ignore that or we're not worried about that we don't scoreboard watch I think it's crap I think everybody does and you know you're especially this time of year you're looking up and you're like oh we're not doing anything and it is deflating you go out there and you try to play hard as hard as you can you try to win every game but when you don't it's it's deflating the team is playing well and they're playing well I just don't like what happened yesterday you know with Corey Kluber we'll talk about that with Ken Davidoff but I, I just thought it's, a, it's just not the right time in the game or right time in the year I mean you're you're right there and you're you're asking a guy to come up that threw 60 pitches in a minor league rehab he's not built up yet and then you do the same thing by asking Heaney who's been a starter hey we're gonna yeah we're going to pitch you out of the bullpen now so I, I don't know. It's, you know, analytics doesn't spit out feel. It doesn't spit out what players go through mentally or or pressures of the game, pressures of certain situations. I mean, they'll give you a bunch of numbers, what you should do, where you should play, and this and that. It doesn't help the feeling of the game. And I think that's when you have all these analytical people and they're, they're talking about, oh, look, we're proving this and proving that. You know, it, it still doesn't give you the feel. It doesn't give you a pressure that – say, okay, hey, you have a base stealer on the base, but we're not going to steal because it's giving an out away just in case he doesn't make it because of percentage-wise. But it doesn't understand what it does to the defense. They don't understand what it does to the pitcher or the catcher and how much pressure it puts on people. But yesterday, I, I just didn't – it just doesn't seem to me – I mean, you want to give your team every opportunity. I understand they want to get Corey Kluber back, and if they can get him back at any point of where he was after the first four starts of the year, then great. But I thought – 
at this time of year, you need somebody to be built up and at least 90 to 95 pitches. And if that means three or four more starts in September in a minor league rehab before you bring them up, then that's what you do. I don't think this is the time to start experimenting, even though Corey Kluber is a veteran guy. Yeah, Heaney hadn't thrown out of the bullpen since 2014 when he was a Marlin. It was 108 straight starts for him, so it had to be a little bit weird, not only coming out of the bullpen for the first time in seven years, but also you know, coming into the game in the first battery face is, is Shohei Otani, and he leaves a spinner up and out over the plate, and you just don't do that. Kristaps Porzingis was called a unicorn by uh, Kevin Durant. Well, you have to go, you have to take it a notch higher. I mean, we have to go to Greek mythology for uh, Shohei Otani. He's like Pegasus. He's the winged horse. I mean, this guy is doing everything this year, but when you break it down, Nelly, last night, Kluber looked okay for the first three innings. It, Michael Kay and John Flaherty brought it up. He got away with a couple of middle, middle sliders that were cement mixers early on in the count. He did not get away with those in the fourth thing. And I think he didn't adjust to the Angels adjustments, but it came down to three pitches. Kluber's spinner to Mayfield that turned into a grand slam. And then it was Heaney, of course, throwing his spinner right middle, middle to Otani. And then Clay Holmes to Juan Lagaris in the eighth inning, which gave the Angels the eight to seven win. So when you boil it down, at least to me, the positive, the silver lining from the first game in the Angels series was the offense looked dead as a doornail in those last two games against the A's, with the exception of Aaron Judge in the third game of that four game series. At least the offense woke up in that bullpen game for the Angels, and you hope they could carry that offensive prowess into tonight's game, Nelly. Yeah, you hope so. You know, it has been a little bit more consistent, and that's obviously, I think, with the balanced lineup, the Yankees are throwing out there every day. So, you know, and also Stanton's having his, you know, a couple times a year, he'll carry a team for two or three weeks, and he's done that. You know, the last 15 games hitting over 350, so, and, and he's hitting bombs, you know, absolute bombs. I've never even seen one hit that far in Oakland, and it was almost dead center or a little bit right left center where he hit it in that, uh, what I don't even know what kind of deck you call it, but it was well over uh, the stands and in that third deck, second deck, but it was a bomb. I mean, I haven't seen a ball get hit up there, but he's having his typical, you know, two or three weeks, and then all of a sudden he'll he'll come back and he won't do anything. He's that type of player, and I think he's been that type of player all of his career, that he'll give you a, a three-week span, maybe a month, that he'll carry a team and he can, he's that good. And then all of a sudden he'll come back to earth and next thing you know, his swing's all messed up. So, but right now they're the offensively, they're doing well and they need, need to leave the West Coast on a positive with the Angels. And, you know, it's just frustrating because you're not gaining any games. I, I guess you can sit there and say, yeah, you know what, we're, we're in the wild card hunt or we're in the wild card lead, but it's just one game. And, it's, you know, it could be the Red Sox and the Yankees as far as playing that one game. And it could be a sale coal matchup. So this is going to be get interesting. I just don't know how close they can come with the Rays with them never losing. And when they do lose, it's maybe two games and then they'll pop off seven or eight again. Yeah, it's unbelievable what Tampa is doing. When you think about the run the Yankees have been on since July 6th, really the second game of the doubleheader against the Mets on July 4th, they've had a ridiculous run and the Rays have matched that 
and been a game better. So to your point there, they were six games back of the Rays on July 6th. They've gone on this ridiculous run. They're, still, they're seven games back right now. So if you're the Yankees, you're thinking to yourselves, what do you have to do to catch this Tampa team atop the AL East? And I was going to go there next, Nelly, and you read my mind. Does any Yankee fan, do the Yankees, regardless of where the game is, whether it's Yankee Stadium or Fenway Park, do you really want to roll the dice and and play the Red Sox in a one-game playoff to go to the ALDS? I mean, I don't want to see Chris Sale. From what Michael Kay, we talked in the booth last night, and Michael told everyone in the booth, everybody who could hear him, that everything he's heard about Sale is that he's been lights out. The guy's been unbelievable since he's come back to the Red Sox. Now, they're devastated by COVID right now, but they're going to get these guys back one after another, and they will be whole again. And this team's going to be scary. You know how scary they are offensively, Nelly? We talked about it in the beginning of the season, but I know I don't want to see the Red Sox in that one-game playoff. No, you don't because you don't know. No, I mean, if you look at the past with Cole, I mean, yes, he's been he's pitched in some unbelievable games. Uh, but when you're talking about pressure games, that's that's been a different story. And even when he came back, you know, Boone wanted to throw him against the Angels instead of saving him for the Red Sox series. Now, they did sweep the Red Sox. So if you look back and it didn't matter. But and he hasn't really typically done well against the Red Sox this year. And even the Rays, they've kind of beat him up a little bit. So I think that's a that's a worry right there. And that's a concern. But we don't even know if that's going to happen. Hopefully they'll get to a point that if they can't get the East, that they'll try to set up Cole for that one game wild card, whether it's in Boston or in New York. I, you don't want to, if you're any team, you don't want a one card, one game playoff. But it, right now that's that's going to be the reality because I just really don't see them trying to make up seven games here. They can, but I don't know. I don't know how they do it. All right, Nelly, coming up for the Yankees Tuesday and Wednesday, they wrap up their series with the Angels and they come home. And how about this? 17 of the next 20 games or 14 of the next 20 games are at Yankee Stadium and three are at City Field. So a little home cooking for the Yankees through September 22nd. That's great news. They could sleep in their own beds. I'm sure you could talk about that, Nelly. And then on an off day Thursday before the Orioles, Friday through Sunday, the Red Sox and the Rays have three more Tuesday through Thursday. So let them beat the hell out of each other down in St. Petersburg. And then uh, how about this in Yankees history in 1997? In front of a crowd of 55,707 fans, Don Mattingly's uniform number 23 is added to the list of retired numbers on the wall at Monument Park. Before we know it, Nelly, uh, Yankees are going to be wearing numbers in the hundreds. It's it's going to happen. It's, it's just going to happen. I, I don't know when, but it's going to happen. <laughs> that just shows how great these so many players have been <laughs> going through. I mean, oh, it's, it's, it's unreal. They got to capitalize. You know, they have two more games in, in Anaheim or – and they got to try to win these next two to salvage this series and get in to win the series and come home. They have the Orioles. Obviously, everybody's been beating up on them. The Rays have, the Red Sox have. And, you know, if anything, you can say, hey, maybe the Red Sox can do something in Tampa and maybe win a series and maybe we can gain a game or a couple games on on the Rays. And, and I know it's deflating for the Yankees, but, I, you know, the only thing, and that's what a manager says, you know, Tory, Tory would say the same thing. You know, try not to look at the standings, just go out and win series, go out and win games. And then at the end of the year, it, everything will work out and it'll take care of itself. But as a player, uh, you know, I, I'm not speaking for everyone, but I'm looking up all the time and I'm seeing you got to be kidding me. The Rays are winning again and, and we continue to play well. And then you look and they're still and, and we're not gaining anything. We wound up losing. So it's very frustrating. But, you know, hopefully these players cannot look at the standings, which is very tough. 
All right, Jeff. Enjoy the Mets Marlins doubleheader. Coming yes. up next, we are joined by 1998 Yankees World Series champion Homer Bush right here on the Pinstripe Pod. The cavalcade of former Nelly teammates continues here on the Pinstripe Pod. It's our buddy uh, Homer Bush. You could follow him on Twitter at Bush Homer. So it's just reversed with the Yankees in uh, 97 and 98, 98 World Series champion, of course. Homer, thanks for coming on. We appreciate the time, brother. Hey, thanks for having me, man. You know, the fact that I'm on again, Tim, I must have done something right the first time. <laughs> well, I, I, I remember the first time we had him on, Shearney. We talked about when we Google him, the, the gift comes up of Homer from the Simpsons coming out of a bush. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, going so. into a bush. <laughs> yeah, going into a bush. Uh, that's I, and Homer. I, I use that all the time for my football team because for for the New York Giants because usually that's me. I'm out there talking a lot of crap, and then the season starts, and I just ease my way into a bush so nobody could see me. But, <laughs> but uh, we have to talk to you about these these role players for the Yankees because between the COVID ILs and the injuries this year, you know, you got guys like Andrew Velasquez who's Bronx born, his story's ridiculously good. Guys that came up like Greg Allen, uh, Ryan Lamar, they all had a feel like you when you came up in 98 and the role that you played. How Nelly tells us all the time, whether you're on this podcast or not, how an integral part you played on that 98 team. So how important are these roles for these guys that come up and, and contribute the way they are like you did? Well, I tell you what, far more important than when I came up because we had so many really good players that did most of the work. But now with COVID, can you imagine a great example would be a team like Boston right now? Like they're, they're about to go through their COVID headache. So and they're slumping, so they need some pieces that can come up and at least hold things down until they can become whole again. So far more important today, but the, the one thing I keep going back to with baseball in general is that offensively, you just need some guys that can come up and replace production, not people. So they've got to be able to score runs offensively and when they pitch and not give up runs. You know, that would be at least my mindset. You know, homie, I mean, what I what I see from this team, I mean, obviously when they made those two trades with Gallo and Rizzo, it really turned their season around. It's just an infusion of energy in that locker room and in the dugout. But then all of a sudden you see the young guys come up, and this was before the trade when you saw Allen and Floreal, and now all of a sudden you see Velasquez. And, you know, it, it, sometimes a team gets stale and because it's, a, it's an older team or it's a veteran team, and all of a sudden they need that young infusion, and you've seen that. I mean, just I, I'm a big proponent of chemistry, team chemistry. I love one guy obviously winning breeds that but at the same time when everybody's having a good time and and knowing that they can win it, it carries throughout everywhere and I thought that was with you we had Ricky Lede and Bellinger and when you came you have such an infectious personality that you did the same thing I mean we had a veteran team it wasn't that we were stale but we had a veteran team and all of a sudden here comes Homer Bush and such a free-spirited everybody loves you and it's just like here we go. It's just another infusion of this energy, and it's the same thing I'm seeing with these guys. Absolutely, Nelly. And, man, I tell you what, I know you can definitely point the finger at during the season, it seemed like the Yankees were lost. Like, it's almost like they landed, all right, you know, what's plan A? Okay, here's plan A. Well, what's plan B? Plan A, right? Like, they really they didn't have anything they could turn to to turn the season around. So you kind of needed some young guys to come in that was clueless about the atmosphere, about the expectations, and they were just out there trying to make a name for themselves and literally trying to stay up in the big leagues uh, when you think about it, right? So that's the, that component, I think, kind of helped, you know, 
my career out was kind of like I was naive about the process. I was literally like, hey, I'm coming up here to take somebody's job. In reality, I was not. And But it was like that kind of hustle and energy, I think, helped in areas when I did. Yeah, but when you come up, Homer, you have to have that uh, mentality that you you know in your heart that you're not going to take somebody's job, but you have to act like you're going to take somebody's job. I mean, you have to have that mentality like, I'm here. I'm Homer Bush. I'm a Yankee. I'm going to stick here. You have to be like that or else it's not going to work out. Oh, absolutely. Oh, I, oh, I, I tell people all the time, like, dude, like, man, I thought I was the best player on the field. And that wasn't false hype. It was literally because I felt like I could hit 280, steal 30 bases, and play solid defense. So that was enough to keep a guy around on an everyday basis. So as long as I didn't go in and hit below the Mendoza line and not make plays defensively, I felt like, you know, teams would keep giving me at least an opportunity. So I kind of had a plan short term. How about that was singularly, that was yourself. What about your teammates around you? How how comfortable did guys like Nelly and, and other guys on that 98 team make you feel? And and how how big how big was that for you too? Oh, huge because, you know, just diminishing the expectations. Like all I had to do was steal second base, get a score position, right? That was my role. My role was to make sure I didn't run into an out on the bases and just try to get the best lead I could, get the best jump, get the second base because we had guys that could drive me in. I mean, even with two outs, we had Brocious who was driving in 100 from the, <laughs> the 9-0. Yeah, right? the so, nine yeah, yeah. That, just, that just wasn't fair, Homer. <laughs> So, yeah, so when you think about it, it was like I didn't try to, be, you know, come in and be a superstar. I really just wanted to feel my role and be good at it. And guys started taking notice. They was like, oh, man, it's kind of cool whenever this cat get in. He's doing something to help the team. So, and then Joe Torrey took notice. And, man, we started having roster issues. And I kept making the, the cut. They kept getting rid of other people and sending other guys out. And I was like, oh, man, this this is pretty cool stuff. You know, that's my success in itself. Well, I mean, you're right, because we had Tori on as well around, I think it was in July, and we were talking about team and how the team is being built, and he mentioned you a number of times and saying how much of an integral part you played on those teams in 98 and, and, and the role, because I think it was about role players and everybody knew their role, and, and when they had their time to play, it was just, uh, it looks like you mentioned, you went out like, hey, you know, I can I can be a starter, I can hit 280, I can play with the big boys, I can do just as well, and I can be a superstar as well. And that's what the mentality, I think, through every, you know, for everyone on that team was. But yeah, Tori mentioned that you were, you were a huge part of those teams and that he could do anything he wanted with you and you would succeed at it. I mean, it was just a, it was such a huge weapon that the Yankees had that we had back then. And, it, you know, obviously it was it was special. So it was. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, guys loved when you were when you were there and, you know, they had to look over their shoulder, too, because you would have taken their job. <laughs> I tell you what's amazing. So as you know, I went on and played for a few different managers after that. And one thing I reflected back on at the end of my career was that it is extremely important to have a manager, some veteran players that really support you. Because, man, when I played in seasons where I felt like the manager was kind of cold on me, you know, maybe the locker room was a little clickish, like you didn't have that support when you needed it, right? You don't need it every day, but it was really inspiring when Joe would talk to me from time to time and, you know, just basically say, hey, just keep doing what you're doing. I'm going to get you in there. Don't sweat it. You know, like, man, you're, you know, just keep doing what you're doing pretty much. And so, you know, that was, that was important. And, you know, 
So I, I totally understand what you mean when you say clubhouse chemistry is so important. Homer, you're a guy who who wrote the book, uh, you know, hitting low in the zone. You're a hitting coach. Does watching, you know, you're teaching your sons out there playing. Homer Bush Jr. is killing it. I believe what in the Appalachian League. Yes, sir. Watching these approaches today, I mean, we've talked about it on this show so many times. Does it bother you, guys swinging from their asses and, and you know, 300 hitters coming very few and far between? Absolutely. And the main reason it bothers me because baseball is the only sport where offensively you don't have the ball. You're basically reacting to what the defense does. Now, why is that important is because you may want to hit a home run but the problem is if the pitcher doesn't give you the pitch or the location, then you have to play by his rule. So to have a guy swing for the fences and the pitch is not even a home run type of pitch and location and speed, that makes no sense to me. So the other thing is this. How long is it going to take for teams to understand offense outside, slightly outside the strike zone, has far more importance than offense inside the strike zone? Because there's not enough opportunities inside the strike zone to have a consistent, high-powered offense. So with that being the case, uh, you know, like, like offensively, you can have whatever game plan you want, but it has to consist of covering space and location, you know, covering locations and different speeds. Well, it changes when the Harvard nerds come up with a new algorithm and they, then you can figure that out. Well, I'm glad I'm glad Jake brought, I'm glad Jake brought this up because it's something I wanted to bring up with you too, Homer. And it's something I saw I see every time Anthony Rizzo is at the plate. You know, he has to be one of the only guys in this lineup. And and you know what what Anthony Rizzo has done throughout his career. The guy can mash, but he's a professional hitter. With two strikes last night against the Angels, I'm talking about Monday night, he chokes up and he lets the ball travel and he takes what the pitcher gives him. He shot a ball into left field. And then you look, I kind of, Nelly plays a lot of golf, so I'm going to put it into a a, a golf analogy for everybody. Most of the Yankees, now look, Stanton could do whatever the hell he wants. This is not, I'm not talking about... I'm not talking about Stanton here. I mean, he that guy is just ridiculous. The shots he's sitting, Giancarlo, you swing however the hell you want to swing whenever you want to swing. It's fine. But I'm talking about other guys in this lineup and some of the guys who are scuffling, and I'll bring up Gary Sanchez. And I know the power that Sanchez has, but I think he's something like 16 for his last 38 uh, or 16 for his last 45, something. He's hitting like a little over 200. On a golf course, I look at most of the Yankees in this lineup They're 50 yards from the hole and they're walking up to the ball with a driver and Rizzo walks up with his 52 degree lob wedge. I mean, I I can't understand, like for me, baseball my entire life with two strikes, you have to become a different hitter. You have to shorten up and you have to do your job. And, And it just seems like most of these guys, as Jake said, just turn the bat handle into sawdust through the tape that they have there. And they try to jack it into the next state. And I just don't understand that that approach. Well, I tell you what, I, I'm glad you said that because one of the things I reached out to a few MLB teams about and just was like, okay, guys, like, man, you know, let's think clearly here. The hitters are doing too much. They, they can't decelerate doing that fast-paced process. That's the thing, I think, with all the focus on exit velocity and how hard, you know, just everything is big, fast. And when the game is saying do less, right? Less movement, you know, early timing, less movement. You know, I watched uh, Otani's home run. If you get a chance, take a look at it. His back foot is sliding backwards. His front foot is almost off the ground because it takes that much body control to decelerate. And But when you think about it, his production, you think he's just like 
strong and you know long and it's it really like they can't teach deceleration at the major league level because the shift wouldn't be uh, wouldn't have as much value as, as it has because remember barrel is traveling from the opposite field all the way around to the pool side and it's weak so the barrel is traveling fast it's traveling further but it, it's weaker when it gets to the point of contact because they just can't decelerate homer last one uh nelly has his rings i guess in uh in a case or locked away he's got four though you have one do you rock yours in the streets of of wherever you are i think you're in texas do you, do you rock your ring anywhere man i tell you what <laughs> no no like if i sometimes if i'm like not really feeling like i'm, I'm not at my best mentally i'll rock it right i'll take it down <laughs> there and i take the white out right but man when i'm on top of my game i don't need it because that thing is hard to keep up with it's like man, one time i almost lost it and i was like i don't know what to do with this thing i, I will occasionally when i'm when i'm trying to let people know i'm different <laughs> I want to run into some of the uh, old-time Reds players that won three in a row and the A's that won three in a row. <laughs> so I, can talk, I want to talk some smack to these teams and say, you guys didn't have anything on their 98 team. <laughs> no, but I tell you what, I tell you guys, just real quick, that 98 team, man, I don't know, there was a lot of times we were down, like through the first five innings, and you just felt like somebody was going to step up and, and win the game for us. It was the craziest thing. A lot, yeah. a lot of come from behind so, wins that year and, and a lot of wins and a World Series ring. So uh, this team hasn't won anything since 2009. So I'll pump my, I'm going to go pump my brakes in the corner and uh, <laughs> and just thank you for coming on, Homer. We really appreciate it and uh, can't wait to have you on again. And I'd like to get technical with you about the hitting because uh, that's, I think, oh, I, think yeah. I think you're at your best there. And I hope one day we're talking to you on a coaching staff or as a manager as a of the team. Well, the Mets, the Mets need a new hitting coach this offseason. So Homer, if you're available, we'll uh, we'll take you, bro. Hey, I tell you what, guys, the Mets got a three hundred million dollar new toy and don't know how to make them better. That's crazy. <laughs> uh, thumb, That's thumb, crazy. Thumbs, two thumbs down, Homer. Two thumbs down. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right, Joining us now is New York Post baseball columnist Ken Davidoff, who you could follow on Twitter at Ken Davidoff and read his stories in the Post and at nypost.com. Kenny, uh, first, let's get a wide uh, scope here of what's going on with the Yankees. 13 straight wins, now three straight losses as we tape this here on a Tuesday after their first game in Anaheim against the Angels. They are now seven games back. Do you think the division is still in play or is this wild card or bust? Well, look, I, as you know, Cheney, I'm a pretty technical guy. Yeah. Obviously, the division is in play. I mean, big, bigger gaps have been erased in shorter periods of time. But obviously, these last three days have been extremely discouraging You know, to put together a 13-game winning streak and then lose three in a row and have the Rays win all three when even during the 13-game winning streak, you picked up only three games. You know, you picked up three games during the 13-winning streak because the Rays won 10-3. and three. Now you're back to where you started before the winning streak. Yeah, Ken, it's tough because they only play the Rays the last three days of the season, and that may not even mean anything. It might benefit in, in a way if they can't get the division as far as the wild card, because they might be able to get enough lead and try to clinch a spot and at least set up their rotation, or at least set up probably Cole, obviously, to pitch that one game plan for the ALDS. But I think, you know, even though they're not technically out of it mathematically and all that, it's going to be tough because it just doesn't seem like the Rays lose. I mean, and if they do, they may have a two or three game 
losing streak, and then they pop off seven wins in a row. And it, uh, you know, the way they played, it's just been incredible. Uh, no, it's funny. I, I, I hate to break your guys' hearts, but occasionally I go on other podcasts. Um, and, <laughs> oh, you're, you're cheating on us. Yeah. Cheater. <laughs> and uh, I was on with a buddy last week on a podcast, and he's like, you know, tell me about the Rays. And I I was in the car, and I just kind of faked my way through it. And then afterwards, like, let me, you know, let me look at the Rays, what they've been doing lately. You know, they're not really that pitching driven a team, not like past years. They're, they're hitting like crazy, you know, and, and a lot of their starting pitching solutions have not worked out. You know, they Michael Waka and Chris Archer, but it hasn't mattered. You know, they, they just found other ways to succeed. They're, they're just a, a crazy resourceful organization. And the Yankees are going to need some help in the bullpen, Ken, with Zach Britton being transferred to the 60 day IL. Uh, there was a report about having bone chips removed from his left elbow. Uh, we'll learn more uh, about that from Brett. I see. I did. I did what you did. Same what I, I did. From Aaron Boone. But I played with him too, by the then way. Then I'd really date myself. But um, I brought it up with Aaron yesterday about Luis Heel. Potentially, they, they did bring him out of the bullpen in Scranton on Sunday. It's just to give him a different look. But with his stuff, Kenny, and I said this on the podcast maybe three weeks ago because he was starting to give me the feel. He, he looked great as a starter. And I know the Yankees would probably like to keep him there. But with his fastball and slider, he could give you something big out of the bullpen down the stretch in September and if it instills confidence in you in those innings maybe some high leverage in the postseason who knows yeah I, I agree 100 percent uh yeah I mean he, this is a guy who really let's face it kind of stepped in from nowhere in a sense just because this was not a guy who was really knocking at the door of the big leagues that he was called up by necessity and thrive so why can't you think he can do uh, help in some similar fashion coming out of the bullpen. To say that, Kenny, you know, I, I didn't, I was flying yesterday. I, you know, I, I'm a celebrity, so I play any celebrities. Oh, Mike Wahlberg, golf wow. Wow. <laughs> no, I was flying, He's so I didn't. name dropping his own name. <laughs> yes. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> But it was, uh, you know, I, I was flying home yesterday because I, I got the lovely Marlins Mets uh, day night double header. How about that? That's a doozy. Uh, yes, that's exciting. That's I'm your really, penance. Oh, I'm really excited about seeing that. So I really didn't catch Kluber. And I'm and I saying this to Chris last week when we knew that Kluber was going to come off the IL. And I just didn't, I, I know it's tough when you have a guy, you sign him for 10 million bucks or whatever. He, he did well and he tries his butt off and works his butt off to get back. And I was saying, I was like, you know, is it the right time of the year to try to experiment with this? I mean, is there any way they could probably do something to leave him down and pitch him a little bit more, get him some more rehab assignments or, or at least do something? Because all of a sudden it looked like yesterday, it almost messed up the flow. It's like you're experimenting with something that I know you want him back and I know he's worked his way back, but you're almost experimenting something that just didn't seem it was going to work in the first place. Yeah, the, the Klubert thing is fascinating to me now. A few thoughts came into play. You know, first of all, I was like you, like, really, you're going to bring him up now at you know his previous start at double a he threw 60 pitches and the results weren't that encouraging and it, you know it just makes you wonder like is this guy just have so many bullets left so might as well use him in the big leagues the other thought i had was you know is there any thought he pitched three very good innings last night just pull him right there and then now that's easier said than done i mean you're, you're trying to get a win why not push him and then even 
you know, against the number nine hitter with two outs, I can understand giving him the benefit of the doubt there. This is it. And then he, then he gives up the grand slam. But yeah, look, Corey Kluber, I, I think you have to, whether it was too soon is very debatable, but I, you have to see whether he can help you uh, in the postseason because if he if he can be that guy he was in May, then he can be a game two starter. Yeah, and you know, I just I was just taking a glance because I remember in the beginning of the year and I, I don't, and I think this has to do everything about your minor league rehab and your pitch count and trying to bring back that arm strength. And I just don't get why teams, and it's not just the Yankees, you know, they they go and they bring these guys up and, okay, here are 60, 65. The Yankees did this with Kluber in the beginning of the year, if you remember. When he started the season, he was, what, at 70, 75 pitches. His last spring training start, I covered against, I think it was the Phillies. And he threw 60, 65 pitches. I said, how is this guy ready for, for the season? And if you look at his first four starts, he never went, he very, he didn't go past four innings and he got in the fifth inning once. So now we're talking, hey, we're into September and we're going to try to build this guy's pitch count up in a playoff race where, hey, we're trying to shoot for the division. The Rays aren't losing. The Red Sox are right there with us. We're trying to stay ahead in the wild card. And we're experimenting with a guy that we're trying to build his pitch count to see if he can be a postseason pitcher when they're not even in the postseason yet. It's a tightrope now, right? It's 100% a tightrope because, you know, if he gets that last guy out last night, then it's fine. If they, you know, if they wind up winning, last night, you know, after tying at 7-7, then, then we're probably discussing this issue less today. And if they get to the postseason, Corey Kluber, again, can can get back to that guy he was, then he is a real weapon. And then then this pain will have been worth it. So it is a tightrope. Yeah. And Aaron Boone said he's probably going to be built up by the end of September. And let's face it, the first game against the Angels came down to three hangers. The one from uh, Kluber there to Mayfield, the one from Heaney to Otani, which was middle, middle. And you don't leave one middle, middle to Otani with the 42 home runs he has, 41 going into that at bat. And then the last one was Clay Holmes to Ligaris. I only have one more for you, Kenny, then we'll let you go enjoy your vacation for crying out loud. Glaber is on his way back. Aaron Boone was texting him yesterday after his uh, first start back on his rehab assignment with the Patriots. He hit the home run. He went one for two with a couple of walks. He feels really good. He can't wait to get back with the team. Now, this is going to happen right when the September call-ups happen. So does Velasquez stick with them? Do they send him down to Scranton, you think, and get him regular at bats? I mean, I know he's been a great story and he's been tremendous defensively for this team. How do you see the roster shaking out? I know Aaron Boone probably wants a couple of fresh arms for the bullpen, but how do you think this shakes out? Yeah, so that's that's the question everyone's wondering, Shearney, is is what happens to Andrew Velasquez? I, I Gosh, I think he sticks. I, I, I'd be surprised if, as much as they would like to have two more arms, maybe you take one more arm because Velasquez just gives you so much in terms of versatility, speed, energy. I would bring him in late for games, you know, to replace Glaber at shortstop. And, uh, you know, this is not a kid you're developing for the future. This guy's 27 years old, you know, so this is a role he should be comfortable playing. He doesn't need the at-bats like a, like a 22-year-old would. So I, I would be surprised if they uh, demoted him. Ken, last one for you. Have you ever heard of a Yankee complaining about the fans booing in the crowd and ever give them the thumbs down you know it's funny i i was you know my brain was, was going back <laughs> to you know to my personal history. so the one incident and one episode that stands out to me is jason giambi 2005 you know he came you know, admitted using steroids came back was terrible 
fans were just crushing him, destroying him. And he actually had a walk-off homer against, I'm pretty sure, the Pirates. And Derek Jeter, of all people, came out after the game and said, you know, we really, it would benefit Jason and us, you know, if uh, if the fans were, were more sympathetic to him. And it was a one time everyone talks about Jeter would never complain. And he never complained about himself being booed, but he did stand up for a teammate. When he got booed, which I thought was interesting. I had 50,000 boos when I came back in 01. My first year in Seattle was back in Seattle when I came into Yankee Stadium. And you loved Nobody it. Nobody complained. I know. It doesn't matter. What did Reggie Jackson, the one thing that Reggie Jackson says, they just don't boo anyone. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Now, that, that whole Mets episode is, is really <laughs> one for the books. Holy crap. <laughs> Coming Can't. next, not amazing, but true. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're gonna you're gonna want to listen to that one with uh, Jake and Figgy. Uh, but Kenny, thank you so much. We appreciate every time you come on, but especially when you're on vacation. Uh, at Ken Davidoff, the fantastic New York Post baseball columnist. We we appreciate you, buddy. Thank you. You got it, guys. Have a great week. That says goodnight to episode 82, the Brooks Krisky edition of the Pinstripe Pod, our Yankees podcast from the New York Post. Thanks to Jake Brown and Brian Mungia for producing the show. Go into Apple Podcasts right now. Give us a five-star rating, write in a positive review. As always, we do appreciate it. You can also find us on Spotify or wherever else you get your podcasts. For Jeff Nelson, I'm Chris Sheeran. We are back on Thursday following the Yankees three-game series against the Angels. With special guest Bobby Bacala. That's right, Steve Schrippa, a big time Yankee fan. Enjoy the games, and thanks for listening to the Pinstripe Pod. <laughs> <laughs>